the same. It's it's a bit of the same. It's it's a great question. This is, this is the issue, right? That the report is getting to is uh, why is this happening at kind of a provincial level? Why is this not happening kind of at more of a local regional level? So um, the end goal, the end vision is, I think, to get to that state. And you heard kind of in the video, there's governance to put in place uh, that that looks different than what we have today. Um, there's targets to put in place that look different than we have today. Um, those what have been provincial level structures need to change. Um, and we don't quite know how, but uh, one of the ways um, that we'd like to see this starting to occur is through the forest landscape planning process and through similar type processes. Um, so modernized land use planning is, is another way um, of starting to get to some of these conversations and making sure that we actually have an input for communities um, as that work unfolds. That's a good segue into uh, Frank uh, Ray's uh, comment here from Sanders. Um, are there any plans to support capacity in local government and emanations to allow us to meaningful participate? I'm lucky. I'm retired. <laughs> but, but with all the initiatives, and it's a good point, with all of the initiatives coming out, and, and obviously we're trying, to, the government's trying to get to a time frame of the end of the year, um, and, and so we've got uh, biodiversity and ecosystem health uh, uh, virtual sessions. We have old growth virtual sessions. We've got Kofi. We've got, uh, you know, all of these other, set, uh, you know, uh, water security initiatives coming. The, uh, you know, the wildlife one is done. On and on it goes. How, how, how do we support getting these 50, 70 people to, to participate more frequently? Because they can't rely, please don't rely on Brian uh, as UBCM, but how do we rely on each of these individuals to stand up and, and, and make comments for their community? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, I almost kind of want to turn it back. It's, it's kind of the essence of why we're here today. Um, and, and to ask you as well, kind of what works uh, for you and what works uh, in terms of connecting back on some of these initiatives. This is from our viewpoint sitting here, um, kind of in the, in the provincial perspective, a, a huge coordination exercise, right? So, uh, it, and with a very significant regional component that has to come forward. So uh, yeah, we need to find a way to do that, um, which I think is, is really the essence. Today is, Today is one way, right? So if this is a forum that works for the group, uh, webinars are fabulous for connecting uh, quickly and, and easily. Um, I know that we have uh, folks on the line today uh, from the province um, uh, with the Ministries of Jedi, Ministries of, of uh, Municipal Affairs, um, and we're working closely with them as well. So uh, I know there's connection points that you have with those ministries. So that's another channel. I think uh, for making sure that voices are heard uh, up through this initiative. Um, and I think, you know, over the, the next few weeks in particular, as this work is really sort of forming up um, and we kind of get to these first two milestone products, I really encourage you to just be part of the conversations that we've set up. Uh, it's really important to do it in, a, in an inclusive way. Um, these sessions are fabulous as well. Uh, always great to kind of 
come in and, and talk to you kind of in your space. Um, but it's very uh, valuable, we're finding in the sessions, to have the diversity of folks around the table um, to be able to talk about literally what is happening in their backyard. So I just really encourage that to carry on. The next couple of comments, um, you know, we are, are articulating very well where we're coming from from our communities because in, in Judy's case in Fort St. James, you know, they're the forestry is the primary uh, industry for their community. Same with matter of caribou, wherever that may be. Uh, and but yet we're diverse. Um, you know, what you know when you look down at, at Vivian's comments about you know I wish this would have come earlier. And there's you know the northern spotted owl and all of those things. You can see how diverse the opinions are. But coming back to to Judy's, how how do we are we ensuring that there's enough fiber to keep the mills um, open? And 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 I might take a stab at this, Norm. The thought process here, Judy, is I don't think there's and if I'm wrong, please tell me. But I don't think there's that certainty yet that there's going to be enough wood to keep all of the sawmills open because it's this paradigm shift of, from 60 years of trees first to to where where we're going and and that's why it's, it was important when Owen and Jean and I heard this that we got this session with with the government just as local governments because you all need to hear it good bad or indifferent and I'm seeing it all in the chats and in, in the questions. So people are uh, pleased with this. Others are, are now starting to look at that. And so, Nora, do you think that that's, we can't really define, but we'll probably have to be able to say that there isn't going to be enough timber, but we don't know for, for all sawmills in British Columbia. Is that, is that Brian just saying that, or are you allowed to say that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be quite as categorical, but because um, I, I think it's so highly dependent on what happens in the land basis, right? I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that's happening out there. And one of the pieces is what more can be done with, with some of our silviculture, um, what more can be done with bioeconomy work, what more can be done with some of these initiatives that government is really turning heavily towards to help pivot our industry. Now, acknowledge that uh, you know you can't have kind of that thriving secondary tertiary industry with a that solid primary one so that needs to be the focus and I think it still remains that um, and I think our government provincially has continued to set that vision out but uh, I think that's why it's so critical that you know we're having these conversations is because um, they're signaling right now that, that we genuinely need to pivot our thinking and our planning at this point in time. Um, we can all see the, the shift in the AAC, albeit uh, temporary, right? For those who, who studied forestry or who, who, who are involved in it, you know that, that 
that is a temporary decline, but it, it's not going to feel like a temporary decline. Um, and, and what comes back, I mean, and, and to be optimistic about it as well, we grow a lot of trees here in BC. We do pretty darn good at that. Um, but the question is, what is that going to look like on a regional to regional basis? Um, but I think you have a very strong backing from the provincial government right now in, in whatever way, shape or form is needed by communities to ensure that that primary industry does stay um, and is sound. But what it looks like is probably going to be different than, well, it will be different than what it looks like today. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, and I should have said that in its current format, it's good. Right. There's not enough in its current format. So yeah. I apologize for that. Uh, Lisa from Northern Rockies. Um, Gets back to the uh, declaration as per recommendation two. Um, um, is that good when we when there are the signatories? Are, are, who's going to uphold the principles of that declaration when it's signed off? Uh, and then and then the secondary part of what she's asking is there a link to the, the uh, nature agreements with the federal government, uh, i.e. thirty by thirty, uh, all of those type of things? Is that something that you can answer, Nora? I would pass that to Slim. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good questions. Um, I. So as I mentioned at the beginning, but I, I, I didn't uh, as we were going through. So the intent is to declare, but not through calling it a declaration, because First Nations have indicated they don't want it called a declaration. But in fact, that is the intent of the framework: is to uh, to to prioritize, declare that prioritizing through this framework, prioritizing ecosystem health is a priority minimizing risk to biodiversity is a priority and it, yes it will compel the signatures to uphold the the commitments that are in the framework um, i'm going to say though that in phase one again um, it's the policy intent so it's the framework it does highlight the commitments and of course bc government will sign on and we'll get you know bc government committing to implementing um, the, what the commitments that are in the framework um, but that's why we have phase two as well where we're looking to really put some power behind it regulatory power and again there will be some engagement we'll be co-developing what those regulatory tools look like um, and so that's why we're doing it in two phases first basically just have that commitment have some key important steps that the bc government can take that the different agencies can take but then make sure that we have that engagement uh, to to be able to look at the next step the phase two whereas that's the regulatory power behind uh behind the framework and and yes it does link with um nature agreement uh, that's still underway. We're working with uh, First Nations right now, um, making sure that uh, that we're considering their thoughts and perspectives in that agreement. Um, and of course, that agreement helps in terms of working with the federal government on conservation goals. It also includes quite a bit of, of or it's looking to include uh, a lot of support for First Nations um, in terms of of, uh, conservation goals um, and the 30 by 30 is linked um, I, I would say again what we're trying to do as Nora's mentioned is to really align all the different initiatives that are underway the 30 by 30 yes old growth is contributing but we also have other effective conservation measures uh, that we're looking at 
that will contribute to that 30 by 30 as well. So what the province is looking to do is have this comprehensive approach that looks at all the different initiatives and what they're committing to do. So watershed security strategy will have some commitments, some actions. Coastal marine strategy will have that. The action plan um, that Nora discussed that's under development will have some different actions and commitments and targets. The, through land use planning and forest landscape planning, and in some instances, watershed planning, we'll be looking to be able to align all these different uh, strategies that have these different commitments. Uh, and a lot of these will contribute to the 30 by 30. So it's not just one uh, initiative or strategy that will do that. It will be across the different the spectrum of what, uh, of, of what we're trying to build right now. Thanks. A um, couple comments come up, and, and this is what we're seeking. Uh, so Vivian from uh, um, Lillooet Area Peace, uh, Squamish Lillooet Regional District, and the next one after that is Grace uh, McGregor. Um, you know, supportive of the initiative, uh, should have done you know the deferrals a little bit earlier. There's still a fear that we could be logging everything while the deferrals, and I think Nora, you hear that in a lot of the sessions. So you see where the membership is, uh, start to see where the membership is uh, on this. And, and so we're very diverse in, in, in what we're trying to do. And so she's very uh, supportive of what we're trying to do here. Uh, quickly down to Grace, she's looking at the rural British Columbia side, uh, diving into if there's no work, then housing is an issue, higher food costs, rental costs, uh, social problems like uh, drug issues and homelessness. So you can see the diversity. Uh, that each community is is looking at this with, and it'll affect. It's again good, bad, or indifferent. This is what this needs. To, this needs to happen. And in the next sessions that are coming out, these comments need to be portrayed by all of you again, so that government truly understands uh, what your community thinks, needs, uh, and, and has the impacts. So. Um, you know, those are the comments. These are all being recorded here, so this is good. These will be uh, these will be passed on. Um, I'm going to go down to Steve from uh, Fruitvale. Um, I understand the amount of fiber will be reduced going forward, and for a number of reasons. And there will be a consideration of prioritizing the fiber harvesting to processors that provide more jobs per cubic meter, i.e., value added, to reduce the uh, economic cost. Is, is that where the government's trying to focus is getting into, into that innovation sector, Nora? Uh, I know they announced a fund. They're trying to get more jobs out of the fiber that will be left. Yeah, and I think that's that's the general vision, right? Is that, that you know, government's been doing its what it can in terms of uh, yeah, new programs and, and, and announcements and whatnot to kind of to nudge the industry in that direction. Um, and, and that's not new, um, and it does take time for us to, to, to move the industry um, and and kind of incent it into into new places. Um, it takes time, and it takes it takes ongoing investment. So I, I think you'll continue to see that level of support, um, at least through this 
mandate that we've got now. Um, hard to speak past the, the next election, honestly, but uh, for now, our government is very much um, headed in this direction. Um, in the office of the Chief Forester, we have some really interesting work happening kind of around the uh, what more is possible with fiber, uh, residual fiber, um, what more is possible with bioeconomy. Um, so, you know, there's that work that's ongoing as well. Uh, and then the other thing that's actually kind of starting to, to become quite a, a big deal, and we're hearing it in many of the, se- the sessions, is is around the carbon management piece uh, and what can be done in terms of some projects there. Uh, it's different all over the province, um, and it's, it's not going to replace uh, the same level of, of revenue or economic activity per se as primary industry or secondary industry. Um, but it is a, it's kind of an interesting uh, way for some communities and, and First Nations as well to kind of look to potentially offset uh, some of the changes that they might be seeing um, in their economic base. Um, highly dependent on ecosystems, of course, but it has been successful on the coast, largely. Yeah. Uh, a couple questions on BC timber sales uh, from Quadra, from Robin, and uh, from David from uh, CSRE. Uh, both saying that uh, BC timber sales is still uh, logging deferral areas. Both of them say kind of the same thing. Uh, can I just give a little in Vanderhoof, Fort St. James? We've been uh, David, uh, Judy. Uh, I think we've been 360 to 400 days of no logging on BC timber sales. Um, so I, I, I don't know what's happening across the province. I'm letting you know that that's what's happening in our area. There's been none to zero <laughs> so the, the deferrals may be in place but but if it's happening in your area and you're obviously you're alluding to that uh will the government bc government implement the deferrals immediately uh of, of the red polygons or the old growth deferrals and i think both and yeah if we can speak to that that'll probably answer both of them so bc timber cells and and I'm not, I am not a BC Timber Sales representative, um, so I'm not totally up to speed on exactly what they're doing, so please take my remarks in stride here. Um, but to my knowledge, they are, are they are not logging in deferral areas uh, where um, there is no support by nations to do so. Um, they, they will be continuing uh, to log, though, in areas where nations have said, we don't support this. Um, and so there no. will be some activity in those areas. I, mean, uh, really I haven't seen her yet. To, uh, the work that we've been able to do with nations and, and to kind of understand um, what their perspective is on it. The other piece, too, is there can often be some confusion around what a deferral area actually is. Um, and uh, you know, there's a lot of ground truthing that's involved in actually ensuring that the areas that were identified are in fact the right ones. Um, so that can that comes up quite a bit in our conversations when, when you actually kind of run it to ground. There there be there have been areas that are misidentified, and that speaks back to the fact that we really need to uh, reinvest kind of in our forest inventory base um, hugely. So. Yeah. Now we'll get to that question. I know David from uh, from Banner has asked that question, and it's coming. So we'll get to that one. Um, and so I think what I understood there, Nora, was that really it's a government to government decision. So if the nations are are on side, or if they've looked, they've made the you know they've made the decision. And if it is happening, it's happening with some sort of 
consultation, correct? Mm, yeah. Yeah. With, with, with it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, I appreciate that. Okay, and then uh, Judy Greenaway, Paul uh, uh, Chaco. Uh, I guess the question is, um, local, how will local government be involved in, in these changes so we can adjust? And what are the su supports? And I guess that's what we're trying to get to today is what are those supports looking like and, and if I could answer that because I think we're going to get into it here at 11 o'clock at what's underway and then Judy if we can ask that question after we go through that portion uh, and if that works with you Nora does that that would be perfect yeah I think that would be the way to do it okay for those of you at Kofi on we appreciate you doing double uh, Mara Sarah story from Fraser Lake thank you and there's a a great, uh, uh, you know, uh, identification of what this means to communities. I'm going to look, going right to your question. Uh, so, the, so the last question is: Is that what can be done to help communities transition? Very similar to what we just talked about with Judy's Sarah. Uh, we're going to get into that here just after 11 o'clock because I think it's important. And not only are you going to have the answers today, none of us are going to really get to the answers today. You're going to have the time to digest what you've heard today. I've been lucky, Owen's been lucky, Gene's been lucky to digest it since February 1st or, or the beginning of, and so we put some thought to this. And so um, you will have time after this to get to a virtual session or another in-person session and think about it and, and get what the impacts would be to you, positive, negative, or indifferent. So. I hope that answers Sarah's and, and Judy's question. Uh, quickly, uh, before um, I'm Steve Mandola uh, from Banner, who will come back to um, You know, the old, you know, David was in the forest industry for 40 years as well. Um, and so he's talking about the inventory and, and um, you know, what does old growth look like in the province? Are we going to... Adjust, we're not going to adjust ages down to get a number, uh, you know, I've, you know, those type of things. And so um, maybe we could talk about what does that look like with an inventory um, that could be more accurate. This is such a favorite of our engagement sessions right now. I mean, how do you manage without data? Um, so uh, I, we just hear this over and over and over. And the need, I think I mentioned this in my opening remarks, the need to sort of stitch the pieces together. Um, you know, we need inventory, or we're hearing, we need inventory, you know, in parks uh, and, and all of these areas. We need to be able to see the land base uh, for all of the reasons we need to manage it, whether it be emergency, whether it be fire-related, whether it be flood-related, whether it be forestry-related or, or otherwise. So um, this has come out as a really, really strong theme and, uh, and, and something that will absolutely be um, tackled in the action plan. What it looks like, you know, you can't just sort of create inventory and wave your magic wand and be like, here it is, everybody. Um, it, it'll take a little bit more than that. Um, you know, first step is making the investment, of course, uh, through government. Um, but then how do we get it to you? In what form? With what supports? What training is needed? Um, you know, and then tying that data set and those data sets then to, to that recommendation around uh, public information. Right, and how we sort of build trust and, and 
and tied into that, like what then needs to be kind of communicated and presented in a more public fashion. Um, I think Al, Al Gorley was talking about this so that decision makers such as yourselves uh, have it readily accessible and, and you can make informed decisions. So yeah, it's a great point from David. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and I mean, it would have been great to see, you know, with a $5 billion, uh, you know, a, um, a surplus that some of that would have been channeled towards that inventory. Um, but that didn't happen, but, but, but it did get channeled to housing and mental health and homelessness and healthcare and protective services. So we, as, as local governments have a role in this is that we have to make it more of a priority for us because as most of you will know, we probably all think even, you know, that it's not a hundred percent accurate, the inventory. So we need to work with government to make sure that they hear what we're saying that uh, we need to make sure that it it gets uh, an update for sure. Sal talks about, uh, trails into old growth and are they still able to build uh, trails into you know rec sites and trails um, with a section 57 application into old growth forest is that the same situation where the nations and, and the government will take a look at those applications together i mean that's the paradigm shift that, that we're talking about is that it's government to government decisions does that fit under that one roughly yeah i mean i think our land-based decisions generally do um, at this point. Um, we have gone straight to kind of the forest industry being the biggest footprint on the land base to say, uh, you know, you, we're going to work with you first to do these deferrals. Um, but it's, it's, it raises a great point about the importance of looking across sectors. And, and this is kind of to my opening comments. These aren't, these aren't uh, this isn't work that can be done simply by the Ministry of Forests. Uh, other ministries need to be involved in uh, supporting, you know, the, the, frankly, the prioritization of our ecosystem health. Uh, across different areas, so I, that is a poli- that's a very live policy discussion right now as to exactly how that would look, um, and, and it extends into many different uh, sectors, as you can all, I'm sure, appreciate. Uh, Sal's follow-up again is, um, you know, our forest licensees planning cut blocks that have been deferred from old, old growth with old growth polygons on them. Is this being allowed, or does it fall under that? Yeah, again, the principle really is uh, we need to be having the conversation about the uh, with the nations, whether they are supported or not. Um, what Sal might be getting to is the fact that uh, in many parts of the, the province, these are, these are, this is an agreement that we are making essentially with the forest sector. Um, in other parts, we've been uh, more, more straight up. We have a, a very specific kind of legal order that's used. Um, it, it really depends. Uh, the province is in all different places and licensees are in all different places. But yes, it really does come down to, uh, you know, what is supported or not by the nations. And again, whether or not that is in fact, uh, you know, an area of, of old growth attribute value. Okay. Uh, Barb from Caribou Regional District uh, has, has three questions packed in here. Um, without ecosystem planning, uh, there's been obviously experiencing extensive fires, caribou, uh, uh, the Chaco, those type of things. Will this, um, and, and so there's landslides, flooding, 
will this change and stay changed even if another government is voted in so this would be that government to government scenario um so thoughts there before i get on to the second one happily um i i I, I can't speak for government. Um, I can speak for my little part of the programs that are run under it, but I would be so very surprised. Um, those are huge priorities: um, community safety, community well-being, um, and I, I very much think they're directly embedded in the work that we do in this ministry, and I, I think in others. Um, and also, I'll, I'll take um, I'll take Mark back to to some of the comments in the in the. A video um, around the importance of um, really bringing the management framework that we have for forests and for ecosystems uh, to a different scale, because that is where you get the stability and the, the as much certainty as you can get uh, occurring, and it helps you kind of move through those election cycles. I think Al said it quite well. We can often be uh, subject to kind of swinging political ideals. Um, and so the more that you can kind of bring that into a regional planning process, the stronger it is and the more durable it is. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Barb, your second question there is about the spraying of vegetation. Uh, will it be stopped? It's you know, all of those type of things. I, from what I hear, and I'm not in government, but it, most of these decisions, and you've heard this repeated a few times, these decisions will be made by the nations and, and the provincial government. I don't think any of them are in a fan of the spring. So my, my gut feel is when they're at tables and talking about priorities for their communities, uh, you'll see that spring won't be allowed. And, and Nora, do you concur with that? Or is that hard for me to comment on that one but um what i can say is that i think uh you know in terms of um some of the recommendations in the report that speak to changing force practices for example um i think maybe this is a conversation that falls into that bucket into what we want to do um you know we we spray for undesirable hardwood species or have in the past right um with my air quotes on so undesirable so uh you know as we start to look differently at these species and see the value in them for things like um you know slowing and changing fire and building up a different level of of carbon in, in, the, in the ecosystem um we're going to start to change our practices to meet the, the new objectives that we're setting um so i think it fits well into that conversation and i have sparked two questions comments <laughs> Perfect. Uh, just, just adding to what Nora was just saying, um, I think with that biodiversity and ecosystem health framework, the idea is that you're looking at the health of the ecosystem and we are part of the ecosystem. And you see that First Nations will always say, if the land is healthy, we are healthy. And so a lot of the comments coming through are that as we're doing the planning, we're really putting Security, we're putting the health of the ecosystem as a, at, right there, front and center. Um, and so it's it's really identifying the values that you want to keep on the land base that are not only supporting ecosystem functions, but supporting our communities, supporting each other. Um, and, and of course, looking at 
resiliency to climate change. And so you'll know that if we're going to get more precipitation, then we need to retain a buffer. And so that's important. And it's it's all uh, part of that overarching, what do we want on the land in terms of being able to have both um, healthy ecosystems and healthy communities. Appreciate that. Sarah, my friend, we're going to all, I know you came in a a little bit later. Uh, All the questions and comments are going to go into the chat and then I'll go from there if you can. Okay, thanks. Um, And so, Barb, you had one more about fire mitigation and landslides and water retention issues. Uh, Will the province be looking at those type of things as well? Obviously, the caribou has seen a lot of this. Yeah, I, I, and I think, it, again, it, this is going to fall into making sure that we have a healthy land. Um, and there's a lot of pieces that contribute to that. Um, there are obviously programs within the provincial government that are dedicated to kind of looking at these pieces. But from the Ministry of sort of Forest perspective, um, it's about making sure that overall uh, community safety and, and whatnot is part of our objectives in forest management. Um, and so we have to you know, adjust our practices for that. Those are live conversations. Hey, thanks. And I'm going to follow up Frank's comment here from Smithers. Uh, he's going to be more blunt, and I'm not going to read from that. I'm going to look at the camera. Uh, I agree. And if, the, and if nations are being funded to, to bring up capacity, uh, Frank's right, and a lot of us are in the same position. We have mayors and councillors. Um, we have paid staff doing what we're supposed to be doing. This is a, these are major initiatives going on with the province, and, and I would wholeheartedly ask government to at least get funding to every community to participate in these because we're doing our jobs that we're supposed to be doing about diversification of economy, uh, about housing, about healthcare, about protective services, and the list is long, way longer than that. We do need. Uh, like the mayor uh, has suggested. 
Yeah, very. It is an excellent question. It's kind of the essence, I think, of the whole thing. Um, this is about people and about communities, um, and that's what it's all about. Um, and and it's not quick. Um, you know, I think there are those tables are you know figuratively they're starting to form. They're out there. There's parts of the province that have you know, stronger relationships and a, and a more active table, so to speak, than others. But this also links back to the question about, um, or to the comment previously there that we were just discussing about, it is overwhelming uh, on all parties at the table right now. And that's one of the systemic issues that we have to address through this work, is that um, everyone is struggling to have the capacity to do what needs to be done because we have structured it in a very sort of silent way, so to speak. So that is the point of this work is to say, we need to restructure our governance around the land. That is truly the essence of the work. It's recommendation one, it's recommendation four, it's recommendation 13 or 14, 13 perhaps a bit of that, right? It really touches on all of it um, because we can't, really continue down this path it will we will all collapse under the weight of this and we do all need to find those tables that can address all of the issues for sure and, and gary you know i am not in anybody's shoes but the trust needs to be built up first and there's been you know there's there's some people here that say they've got good, great relationships with their other communities um but there's a trust factor that I couldn't comprehend. It is pretty massive, so we need to get to that point. But it's a at the minister's practices table, we say the same thing because we hear nations are being discussed over here, and then stakeholders over here, and local governments over here, and it's and it's and it's tough to watch. So uh, we got a few more minutes, five more minutes, and I think we can probably get through these all. I do appreciate them, Sal. I would suggest that if you think that that is happening, or if it is, when we ask the forest district manager, for sure, I think you, you go that route. Is that right? Yep, yeah. totally agree. Okay, and then Vivian, uh, is the Forest Enhancement Society of BC being looked at as a model? Uh, they seem to get, uh, get get this work with the communities of First Nations, more thoughtful use of the forest, create more jobs. Uh, so is, are they being looked to help out here? That's a great point. Um, I think we're kind of at the, at the uh, intake of ideas. So let me consider this as an intake of ideas. Um, and yeah, they do a lot of really good work uh, and definitely uh, could be something to help out. I guess I'd be, without kind of reading it more closely, I'd be curious as to what specifically, uh, yeah, that they would be doing. Um, but I, I definitely love the idea. Okay. Um, uh, Vivian, just so you're, if you go back to the February 15th announcement from the Premier, Premier you'll see that there's an, an indication there of conservation financing. And, and the group in February heard about this from the environmental organizations that attended, uh, which I just thought was a, a different approach. But then the Premier announces that it's one of the eight points in, in his announcement from, from that, that they were going to look at conservation financing to help with this transition. So I don't know, and I don't think Nora knows, because 
obviously she's hit the road running on this file since January 1st. So I, I agree with her that we've all been trying to get ourselves up to speed. She's trying to get this implemented. So, but that's one of the things you could probably take a look at, Vivian, if, that, if that's okay. Um, Martin, you've got a, a big uh, identification of issues here. I don't think I see a question. It's more of a anybody else, Nora, if you see a question there. Just scan them through. Yeah. So, okay. and we'll, we can get back to these again, please, and we've got another half-hour session. Uh, Sarah, thank you for typing it up. Can anyone speak? <laughs> this is interesting. I've never, I like this one. Sheep fat on coat, coat, sheep fat on coat of trees on silviculture on Nootka Island. I but wish I could that's say pretty that. pretty specific to you, Sarah, because I don't think we <laughs> that in Vanderhoof, but, if, but uh, uh, is that something that's a changing force practice? Have you ever heard of that? So, so I... um, just, just going back, sorry, to the to Martin Davis um, comments before here, um, I do see kind of a question in terms of bringing forward to the Minister of Forests in late 2021, still awaiting a response. We've had some change with our new Ministry of Waterland and Resource Stewardship. Um, I think Nora and I can take that away uh, because there are some authorities that have come over to Walrus in terms of AGMAs and uh, the wildlife uh, habitat areas. So we can take that away and, um, and see where that is. Okay, thanks. Uh, Ron, I missed your question. Um, I can come back to it here because I can, I'll scroll back up. I apologize, uh, Ron. Uh, and uh, Owen, uh, as we look at, to a future of bottom-up growth management or values built from the bottom up with First Nations, what will this process do to the communities already doing that? And there are lots for multiple terms of councils. Uh, two, will this redefine the TSAs and what role will BCTS play with with their AEC? Uh, we were told in our meeting on Tuesday night it was 20, they're sticking to 20%, but really that was a, a statistical number that the province came up with a long time ago from a statistician. And I agree with Owen, it, I thought the number was supposed to be down to 16. Is there anything that we can do there that can help our communities and community forests? And, and for those that mentioned regional districts, I apologize if I keep saying community. I consider all of our communities communities. And, and I, if I offend anybody by saying that, I apologize. But I do. I, I feel we're all communities, whether it's a regional district or, or the, the district of Anaheim. So uh, thoughts there on, on Owen's uh, comments, Nora? Um, and actually, maybe first I'll just echo what you just said there, Brian, I, I kind of say the same thing. And so maybe that's a learning for me, but I just sort of say community is community. It's, it's the people on the land base. And I, I, I took a wider uh, approach to that. Anyways, um, yeah, so I, the future of the bottom. Yeah, so to that to Owen's question, um, these are, well, the first one's an excellent point. I mean, that's kind of the conversation that we need to have here. Um, I, would love to hear more about this. Um, as we're going out and doing the regional sessions, we are kind of understanding what relationships are, are out there and what is working. In fact, that's literally one of the questions that is posed at the, the regional workshops is what is working uh, with respect to, to each of these different kind of recommendations. And the idea is to kind of hear back where progress has 
already been made and what can be taken from that uh, into a, a model that can be kind of relayed across the province or offered elsewhere or uh, what, what, what have you. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, with respect to the second part of the question, um, you know, I don't think redefining the TSAs is, is it's not an explicit, explicit part of the mandate that we have right now. Um, but I mentioned in my opening comments, you know, uh, again, the conversations that we're hearing, the ideas around this definitely range beyond the scope of this report. And they talk about some of these more systemic issues um, of, of the way that we've defined forest management, including our boundaries. It's, it's come up before. Uh, people have really interesting thoughts around it. So it's an excellent question. Um, and just, yeah, sort of picking these off one at a time here. Um, I'm not sure I can speak to you know, the role of, of BC Timber Sales going forward in, in this particular piece, um, I probably should leave that one uh, for now. But um, again, I'll just, I'll just say, I think um, there are good questions. They need to come up in these uh, in these forums um, because this is really, you know, we're, we're talking about a different future here. So, uh, so yeah, I just appreciate those questions. Uh, I'll quickly, I know we're up for all time here. Uh, is it Karen or Ron? I, I, so you put Karen in there, but... But uh, so so we've got this massive undertaking in our in our heads uh, that that are coming down. Uh, those communities that have community forests, which include the nations and industry memberships, could community forest structures and systems help to coordinate the recommendations for the community? And how big of a role do you see community forests going forward? That's a good question. That's an excellent question. Yeah. Um... I, I, they absolutely have a role in all of this. Uh, we've already reached out to, to Jennifer Gunter and, and uh, her board um, and uh, are having conversations with them around this. So lots of lessons to be learned there, particularly in the realm of forest practices, in the realm of uh, you know governance and inclusivity. Um, they do a lot of this already. Uh, many of the community forests. So it's you know getting that good word out is really really key. And, um, yeah. 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 I, Karen, I, you know, Jennifer's on the Minister's uh, Practices Advisory uh, Committee with me and, and a few others. Uh, we've had those discussions, so obviously community forests are pretty key. For those of us who have them, for those of us who don't, it, it, we need to make sure that that maybe happens because I think it is a good model of how we can manage a set of values uh, that are community-based and not uh, please, I'm not trying to slag the industry, but aren't timber-based. So uh, Jennifer and her crew there are, are really good. I know we got a couple more messages, but we're going to take a break here for 12 minutes now. I, I, met, I took away three of your minutes for coffee break. We will be back at 11, so go grab a, a coffee, have a bio break, and uh, come back here precisely at 11, and we will continue. Thanks, everyone, for your great comments, your questions, and, and your ability to sit there and Listen. I appreciate this. We'll see you at 11. Thank you all. Thanks, Brian. Oh, Brian, you're too Recording funny. Recording stopped. <laughs> oh, Brian, too funny. Okay, so we are listening to the old growth review and 
recommendations. I showed up late to the party as it is because I had to pass two logging trucks to drive from Crofton to Nanaimo. Okay, so let me go back to a different window so I can really go through that which we were old growth session for local governments. UBCM Victoria Zoom Pro account. Perfect. So there's no real notes there for me to add. And so I am in the conference center in Nanaimo. This is part of my um, chair for Community Economic Development Committee uh, for the UBCM. Uh, that's why I'm sitting on this old growth session for local government. It is not for the village of Tassis, uh, but I'll say something that I wrote into the chat, um, that there is, since I got elected in 2018, we have been trying to get a apportionment of the timber supply area in our direct adjacencies to our municipality in the village of Tassis. Uh, so that's been five years now of requesting uh, community forest for the village of Tassis, which is a timber community, which always was uh, since its incorporation. And previous to that, it was a company town. So that's just my little talk about the village of Tassis and how our mill shut down 22 years ago. So there's definitely no... Uh, fiber that is going to that mill um, and we are sort of the poster child for transitioning um, because we have transitioned into fishing uh, tourism and uh, you know hiking there I know trails was mentioned um, the really interesting part for me also since I was elected in 2018 I've been on the unity for communities trail society as their secretary treasurer and that is something that was pretty much a non-starter because we had uh, engineer and the engineer engineered the trail um, but then it went to rec sites and trails and it was deemed too steep and so then then it was not um, it was not successful and there's so much I think 20 years of advocating for this trail or connecting route to Zabalis through the timber supply area of TFL 19 and it would be so easy for the logging company to connect the roads but that would make them public roads and I can speak to my tweet that I sent out to uh, Minister Fleming uh, who is the MOT um, minister um, that is Ministry of Transport and Infrastructure and so yesterday when I was driving from Tassis through Gold River I had to stop because there's only one road and they're logging right on the road and they're you know not making this is a Head Bay Forest Service Road, so it's not a regular highway, even though it is the only way for me to get from my community to the grocery store or the hospital. If I was in an ambulance, I would have to wait for the logging trucks to, um, you know, allow me to pass uh, currently. 
so that I could go to the doctor and um, also the conditions of the road are so dire at this point with the active logging that there's a truck, two trucks got broken in one of the potholes at kilometer 54 on the Head Bay Forest Service Road yesterday, uh, or the day before yesterday, so that would have been April 11th, 2023. Um, And this really does speak to the fact that all of TFL 19, or Area A, as it is in the regional district of Strathcona, uh, is a timber supply area. It is managed as such. It is not managed as a primary artery from my house to my, uh, you know, basic needs. Uh, it is not managed as any sort of, um, you know, value added. There is no thoughts for carbon sequestration or, I mean, they have undulate winter ranges on polygons on the maps, but they move them around and as they would because they're migratory animals that live in these areas. I know that Mayor Davis's points, I will read them verbatim from the chat in this. Uh, Let's see where we're at. I'm going to go up to what Mayor Davis said and I'm going to read it verbatim because he has been in forestry much longer than me. So here's Martin Davis of Tassis. In the Tassis region, we have worked directly with our First Nation and timber licensee to directly negotiate protection of key old growth and FN cultural sites with an eye to conserving areas most important to biodiversity protection from landslides and wildfires and tourism potential, large old growth trees. We conducted or built on inventories and impact assessments to inform to inform this process we have a letter of understanding with our licensee and have jointly produced a map of existing and potential wildlife habitat areas old growth management areas and parks we brought this forward to the minister of forest in late 2021 and are still awaiting an official response apart from the deferrals and promises of consultation in terms of jobs this provides surety to our licensee while we also we are also negotiating a community forest in partnership with our local fn in order to enhance local forestry jobs while mitigating past and future impacts with a more ecosystem-based approach to our local watershed so I love Martin so much because in that it talks about how we are working with our First Nations partners to get community forest in our area based on ecosystem approaches, which are, you know, measuring for species at risk uh, in the McKelvey drainage and uh, forest. We have uh, have an MMOU, it's a temporary deferral for two years. Um, and so that is great, um, but it's also two years. And after two years, the licensee gets to be compensated by the government for um, you know, timber revenues lost. Uh, I think that it's really important to understand that there is 
so much more potential with respect to canopy walkway tourism and other hiking trails up the McKelvey. But there is also the fact that there is the marble muralids that call that their nesting habitat. And to that end, they nest in the old growth trees in McKelvey drainage. Maybe we should have had everyone's mics on so we could have talked (laughs) 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 and find out how much snow is in your area. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've been talking this whole time, as it is. Oh, well. But the McKelvey Murillets, as I was saying, they go to the sandy uh, inlet to get their food. So that is something that is really, to me, values on land-based and is great, great session, Brian. factoring in yeah, the so runoff to salmon uh, streams. Yeah, I, it was important to really work with government to get this as a local government-only session, um, not with other stakeholders at the table, uh, just us. And because we're di- we're diverse as it is in the province, and so it's just us. And we can be diverse, but we don't need to be. Uh, Stakeholders will have their opportunity, but local governments need to be together and have a conversation. And, and, and I'll, I'll say this at the end here to everybody too, but make sure that you get out and, and um, get out and talk to your cohorts, your mayor's councils, EA reps, uh, and just tell them um, what you're hearing. Because that's the biggest thing. You need to attend the next virtual sessions or face-to-face. And the comments that I see are exact uh, that you need to get into, uh, comments that you need to get into uh, into these virtual sessions so they resonate with government. Totally hear you, Brian, and what a, what a good session for us to at least get a voice here. You know, um, not a lot of answers yet, but the next part should be really interesting, I think. And the more we can involve everyone, you know, I'm not in disagreement with revamping the forest industry, that's for sure. But at the same time, <laughs> oh, we Grace. all need to be part of what that looks like. Yeah, I, I agree, Grace. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't expect that we're going to get every answer to every question today. And I don't expect Nora and her team or Kimberly and her team coming up to give us all the answers. But it is up to us to ask all of the questions and present our concerns and the impacts that we see and the supports that we need and i think that that's what we need and so i agree we're not we're not getting answers but we're providing the questions and so i think that's a that's a very good thing yeah i think you know that the whole concept of funding uh, local government you know like how can we do it as as one of the individual electoral area director to push what our area needs, right? It's got to come from the regional district. You know, the municipalities can do their thing and and so on and so forth, but electoral areas, it's a concern because, you know, we've, I've had some of those discussions, you know, you know, that UBCM resolution last year that were approved and we got the response back. It was actually a good response, but how do electoral area directors actually get input into what's going on, right? It's got to come from the regional district down.
Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, Reminding everyone that the trees are in the rural areas. Exactly. That's exactly where they are. And you know what? Manorhoop's one thing, and I'm very fortunate to represent, try to represent UBCM on these files. But how does Gun Lake get to the table? You know what I mean? Like, how does that little residential community around that lake get to the table to talk about the the BC timber sales or the whatever? It's so difficult at times. But but these operations. Recording in progress. So recording in progress. Um, okay, folks, we're going to move on and we'll get back into some question and answer sessions here. Um, I will introduce Kimberly, Kimberly Reed and her team. She's going to take us through uh, an overview of what's underway. Basically, I think it's recommendation 13 and 14, and then that will lead us um, into a general discussion about impacts and supports and more digesting of what we've heard today and then get us to a point where we wrap up and and and, and get you on your way before lunch and, and get you attuned to what's going on so that you can attend these virtual sessions and these face-to-face sessions with a little bit more education on, on where the initiative's going. So with that, I'm going to pass it on to Kimberly and, and her team and uh, lead us through the next uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Kimberly? We have a few slides that, that could come up. Um, but yes, my name is Kim Reed. I'm the executive director for rural and regional development at the Ministry of Jobs, Economic Development. And- Lindsay McLaughlin, she's the ED of Employment and Training Programs at the Ministry of Post-Secondary Education and Future Skills. As well, on the line, Rebecca Johnson, she's the ED of Forestry Worker Support at the Ministry of Labor, and Allison Cote, who's the Director of Operations with the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Um, her focus is really with WorkBC and the Community and Employer Partnerships Program. Um, just, uh, just to the last conversation, um, in my presentation, I probably will use the term communities very, very broadly, regional districts, uh, rural communities, um, uh, indigenous communities and such. So hopefully um, uh, that uh, comes across in that presentation. So uh, next slide, please. So as uh, mentioned earlier, um, uh, recommendation 14 is really um, about recognizing that changes in the forest sector will have some adverse effects on uh, people and communities during this transition. So some of your communities probably have already experienced some of these impacts, particularly in um, those communities where mills have uh, recently closed. Um, but in fall of uh, 2021, uh, the government announced $185 million dedicated to supporting economic diversification and mitigating impacts from these changes in the sector. Uh, only to announce, as mentioned earlier, another additional $180 million for the BC Manufacturing Jobs Fund. So it's going to bring us up to $365 million over the course of the next few years. So this slide here is really showing where all that funding is being directed to and the different programs. And I know it can be a bit confusing with all the names, but really trying to like show you the comprehensive and coordinated suite of programs here that ensures that workers and communities and businesses all have a pathway to government support when experiencing impacts in their local economies. 
So it should be noted though that while these programs prioritize forest impacted areas, other than the forest employment program and the bridge into retirement program, which are in the bottom left corner there, in general, these programs are available to all regional, rural, indigenous communities in British Columbia and can be used in a variety of ways and in a proactive way, in my, in my hope. So today's um, presentation, we're going to talk about a couple of these programs in a bit more detail, specifically ones that municipalities and, and communities generally can um, directly access. Um, again, as I mentioned, these programs do intersect and work together and often benefit more than just the applicant. Um, I just kind of use a, an example that a company could a, uh, access the Manufacturing Jobs Fund that will create jobs for impacted workers because the community was able to improve services, say, to an industrial park from funding from our Rural Economic Diversification Fund. So you can see how they all sort of want to work together to bring the best to the community. So uh, just saying that because that's why the folks are on the phone here. So if you do have questions outside of the programs we detail, we have uh, people that can um, speak to it uh, after the presentation. Next uh, slide, please. Thank you. So the Rural Economic Development and Infrastructure Program funds projects that uh, support diversification, resilience, economic infrastructure, and communities. So this one uh, you may have heard of. We had over 300 applications in the first intake, which um, was just this uh, earlier this calendar year and just announced actually just uh, this week. Um, uh, we were able to, um, we have a committed $33 million per year, but this recent uh, um, intake we were able to um, get an extra 33 million and put 66 million towards this um, project, or sorry, this program this year, which we were pretty thrilled to be able to um, fund to that um, depth of the program. So there is three funding streams for those that might not be as aware of the program. The economic capacity stream is a direct response to what we heard uh, during our consultation last year. And there was this express need for targeted supports to build capacity in communities for economic development activities, of course. So this stream is really focused towards smaller communities under 2,500 people to sort of build that internal capacity. And, uh, you know, examples of this is training uh, existing staff on economic development activities, hiring an economic development officer. We had uh, one nation that hired um, an entrepreneur officer uh, for their community as well. Um, and I, I really take the points that were earlier said about the capacity to sort of inter, um, interface with some of these forestry impacts and how that might impact the economy and, and really sort of wondering if there is a way that we can look at this stream as um, maybe helping in some way um, for some communities anyway. So I, I take that point very seriously uh, and we'll take it back to the policy team. Uh, the second stream is the economic diversification stream, and this really offers through your broader economic development funding, and you can access up to a million dollars, which is quite nice. Uh, this stream sort of funds also different stages of a project as well, including right at the beginning, the sort of planning and development of projects that are likely to have good outcomes economic outcomes in your community and you know things like an engineering assessment could be eligible in that in that respect and then this goes all the way up to sort of implementation of projects such as uh, building economic infrastructure or delivering uh, programs and services in your uh, in your community so you know I used the example already of sort of servicing uh, industrial land or a business park might be eligible um, and uh, 
we find that a lot of um, nonprofit organizations um, will apply for things like business, business mentorship or accelerated programs in communities to sort of support the business community. The last stream is the forest impact transition stream, which prioritizes uh, communities impacted by changes in the forest sector, as you know, most what we've been talking about old growth deferrals or other fiber, fiber supply challenges. Uh, the eligibility act eligible activities of um, this stream are the same as the economic capacity and diversification, but um, in, in this one, folks can uh, access up to 100% of project cost, which tops out at, at about $500,000. Um, it also can be accessed on a more of a rolling intake, um, particularly in the case when there's a major uh, loss of a major employer, we sort of make sure that we can sort of readily um, offer some funding um, for economic development um, activities shortly thereafter. Uh, and, and just in our first intake, as I mentioned earlier, there's about $11.6 million that went out to forest impacted communities this round. I would say though that this is a really key program for, for, for communities um, to consider their support of their local economies. And this is whether again your communities are feeling impacts now or may in the future or uncertain how it's going to play out. Um, it is really a, a program for communities to use to be proactive in diversifying their economies and try to mitigate those impacts, um, you know, even if before before things happen, preferably. Um, it's not a pres overly prescriptive program. Um, we try to do our best to be very open to um, uh, the, the projects proposed. Um, we do recognize that communities know their communities best um, and what the needs and opportunities may be. I think Brian, you mentioned this a few times um, today. Uh, you know what, what you need in your own communities. Um, and then maybe just on a final note with this, to sort of help, and again, this is back to that capacity issue, just to remind you that um, you know, to support the development of projects with these good uh, economic outcomes, there is government staff throughout the province um, available to directly support communities with developing their priorities and accessing these programs. So I have a team of regional managers, probably most of you have heard of them or met them, um, but you can definitely ensure that that list is um, um, forwarded if you don't know uh, who your person would be. Um, and then just last thing on the Reddit program is that we will be having a second intake um, open up uh, likely uh, late spring is the hope. Um, we haven't quite nailed down the date, but um, uh, sooner than you think, let's say. Uh, next slide. Uh, I just wanted to quickly mention this program, even though uh, it was sort of in the business bucket of my first slide. Um, and this is because communities can apply for this program to support their local businesses. So the Rural Business and Community Recovery Initiative creates short-term uh, advisory programs that support, again, economic recovery, development, diversification, growth, uh, a number of things. It was a really successful program during COVID, and we expect that this will um, be helpful in the sort of transition process overall uh, by bringing that, again, that extra capacity to communities and regions. Um, and um, uh, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. Uh, again, most uh, by those who are most impacted by forest, um, the forest sector. So it does have, again, that prioritization for uh, uh, forest impacted um, areas. And this program is administered by the Regional Economic Trust. And the intake is currently open in the Southern Interior region as well as the North. Um, and the, 
there's a second intake uh, that's expected on um, through ICT or the island um, here in the near future. So to be on the lookout for that as well. At this point, I think I'll pass it on to Lindsay. And um, like I said, we'll take questions um, at the end. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. Uh, can I have the next slide, please? Thanks. Uh, so, hello, everybody. My name is Lindsay McLaughlin. I'm the Executive Director of Employment and Training Programs with the Ministry of Post-Secondary Education and Future Skills. They've changed our name recently, and I haven't really got the flow of that yet. So, <laughs> um, so uh, we wanted, as Kim mentioned, we wanted to talk about programs uh, that were available through um, some of the forestry uh programs as well as um, just regular sort of base programs, if you will, that communities can access. So one of those is the Community Workforce Response Grant. And essentially this grant was developed um, to help communities address workforce development challenges that they may have. Um, municipalities can apply directly. We have several streams. Usually that depends on who can apply. Um, but local municipalities can apply. Um, labor organizations, nonprofit service providers, chamber of commerce, um, or local municipalities, as I said. Uh, essentially, what this is, is putting together a skills training cohort. So you're training um, a minimum of three people and uh, providing training up to 52 weeks. Uh, the program covers tuition up to $10,000 and $5,000 in wraparound support. So people need childcare, transportation. Um, and so we have a specific um, forestry stream that we can help with um, impacted communities. And then we also have other streams. Um, so we have a lot of um, projects, um, anything, everything from you know digital training to healthcare assistance to education um, assistance uh, to heavy equipment operators to trades foundations to melt drivers training. Um, so you name it, we the program is very flexible. And if people have questions about this, I'm very happy to connect you with uh, our program team, and they can really talk you through um, what an application process looks like. It's fairly easy. We just look for some um, employer support. So we just wanted to let you know about this program, which is also involved in the forestry community sports, but um, also available uh, year round. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, so we wanted to talk just a little bit about the community transition services. So this is when um, a mill event happens in a community. Um, as Kim mentioned, she has regional managers, she has regional teams around the province that are usually, uh, you know, sort of the, the beat on the street and getting the information. So when a mill event um, happens, um, the government teams start engaging uh, right away. So um, Kim's teams typically reach out to the municipalities, uh, First Nations, uh, the employer, the workers union, uh, Rebecca's team from Ministry of Labor uh, will work with the employer. So right away we'll engage to see do they would like this type of support. Um, and basically this is a, a, a collaboration table and where we work together um, to make a plan for the community. So if the community agrees, uh, we all get together. So that's sort of number three, the middle circle. We all get together as a group. And from the um, ministry program areas, we send um, the subject matter experts. So they really understand the programs, all the access points, you know, where there are exceptions that can be made and how we can actually link all of the programs together. 
obviously every community is unique. There's different labor market contexts, there's different um, economic development opportunities, um, there is a whole, um, everything is different. So we really want to tailor it and customize to exactly what that uh, community needs. So typically we try and do um, a needs assessment for the workers so we can get a little bit of idea what are some, what are skills they have, are there interests that they're looking for in um, different occupations, what's the demographics. We have a little bit of a sense of how many workers are going to be impacted. Then we start planning um, some really practical steps. Uh, so for example, you just work BC, will they do, um, is a job fair appropriate? Um, we've had employer fairs before, and basically we try and organize what that um, community needs. Sometimes it's things like mental health supports or um, financial resources. And so as a group, we um, lean on the experts um, on that team to reach out. And then there's these sort of subgroups that happen. So the, the table comes together, they meet sort of every you know week, every two weeks. And the in between those two weeks, um, the government programs areas will typically meet, um, debrief about what we've heard, and really try and see where the intersection points are. Um, often what that means is, so for example, Rebecca from Administrative Labor will um, get together with the employer to talk about bridging to retirement supports, and she'll engage the other program areas that have employer supports, so we can come together and really tailor and, um, and customize. And then, of course, um, through um, Kim's team and, and Jedi, there's a lot of economic development support. So it's really, um, uh, I think it's a very powerful way to sort of get the right people in the room and really drill down to what that community needs and then try and um, address those needs uh, the best we can. And we have been, uh, you know, we have examples of where we've been able to sort of leverage the different programs funding um, in order to uh, deliver a response. Uh, next slide, please. So this next uh, slide was something we put together just to demonstrate um, some of the considerations and situations that come up in every community. So we actually have slides, uh, you know, that we've got whole ones for workers and employers, etc. But we wanted to highlight the community one. So really, what we're doing when we're talk when I'm talking about those subgroups and the work we're doing, sort of outside and at the tables is we're looking at the specific situation and then we're looking at all the supports that could potentially be um, available and seeing, um, you know, again, where those access points out, who's the best person to apply, who has um, capacity in the community. And I know um, the uh, program area teams really work to uh, make it just as easy as possible uh, for the workers uh, and the community and the employers, everybody involved. Uh, we want this to be a successful uh, transition and we know that when um, communities are um, and people, when there is uh, whispers of job loss, people go into crisis and to panic. And so we have a lot of programs available, but if you are in crisis, sometimes it's really hard to navigate those programs. Sometimes it's hard to navigate these programs when you're not in crisis. So really our role is to help that and um, see the connection points and really try and respond the best we can uh, to whatever makes sense in that. And I think that is the end of our presentation. Perfect. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. 
Okay, folks, we've got a little bit of time here. I know we've got some comments going on. Yeah, but our first, first comment would be is the systems all seem to be set up if, if you think something's going to happen or it has happened in your community, a loss of an employer. should almost be we should all get together and figure out the resource-based communities in the province, uh, uh, sorry, timber resource-based communities in the province and say, okay, instead of being reactive, let's be more proactive and start working with every one of those communities now. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to fear monger what's going to happen here. I just, the reality to me is, is it's there. And, and so we're trying a new approach. And I think, you know, maybe that's a thing we can take away, uh, Kim and Lindsay, is that we, maybe we sit down with advisors and say, this is the list and let's start working on them all because eventually I think it will affect all of us. Uh, but I don't know what the capacity of the team is yet to, to, to handle that. But, uh, you know, I think our little community is no different than any other community and we may lose both sawmills in our community, mainly because there's really the pine beetle and fires have devastated everything that's around us and we don't have any timber left. Uh, so, you know, we would apply under one of these grants thinking that it's going to happen. But just to be proactive, just a thought, and, and maybe we can get to the comments here. And, and uh, so now you've heard this, folks. It gets into the impacts for you and your communities and regional districts. And, 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 and you know, you're going to have more time to think about this after the call. But uh, if you've got comments or questions, now's the time to ask them. Or, or you sit on it some more and, and get it out at a virtual session or face-to-face. -face. So I'm going to start going through these, if that's okay with everybody. Um, I think Owen and Lisa, I think you've heard about the Redip program. It's coming up this spring. So um, Barb, you've talked about how can workers transition to another sector from the forest sector. What are the challenges to such a transition? Those are good questions. Uh, I think you've seen some of the examples of that. From a community standpoint, not that Brian needs to keep talking here, um, but but my concern is when I hear about the transition over the workforce and we're going to lead up on early retirement and help those things out, I don't know, I appreciate that that's, a, that's maybe one of the tools in the tool shed uh, or the toolbox. But we're, most of our communities are already short of, of of workers and if we start if you're a sawmill worker and you're going to lose your job and we bridge them to retirement sometimes that may not be the best with a little bit of nudging maybe they can get retrained and, and get down to a, a mine and work for another five years uh, just throwing that out there that um, you want to be as supportive of you, uh, as you can but you also want to make sure that there's enough people to fill the jobs that still remain in our communities and in our industries around our communities. So, um, so Barb, your question is, do you see many of these challenges during this transition uh, or what are the challenges to this transition? Uh, and I'll leave that with uh, Kim and Lindsay if you want to try and answer that one. Yeah, I think I might pass this on to my uh, worker or my worker colleagues because I, it is a bit of a twofold um, question. I, 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 I think that there is 
work to be done to create um, jobs in a diversified the economy to create jobs for those workers to go to. But then there is, like you said, the retraining and the opportunities for workers to take the like in the market that labor market that we're in, um, and and what the, what do those pathways uh, look like? So I'll I'll pass that to Lindsay and or Rebecca to sort of maybe respond um, uh, more specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm happy to talk about the uh, worker transition, and I think. Um, you know, as Kim said, it's it's sort of a twofold answer, and it's a bit complicated because, of course, it is really up to the individual worker. Um, so, right, and, and and what they want to do, and you know, what their um, financial situation is like, and you know, whether they want to go to camp or they want to completely get out of this industry whatsoever. So, really, what we try and do, I know, between um, Work BC and some of our programs, we work with people individually to help them career path and you know some people may have never done this before um, and they just need a little support and to get them out and I know that you know when people lose their job um, you know you really go through stages of grief right so it is just trying to um, respond and, and connect them with someone who can they can talk to a career practitioner who does this for um, a living you know, on the on the bright side, the job market is very good right now. So, you know, that doesn't take away um, that, you know, in some communities, there might not be um, those that opportunity right now, but there are, um, we are seeing a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of um, retraining opportunities. Um, and, you know, we've seen this in other communities through past programs where, you know, there are, there are lots of options. You know, we've got examples where people have um, decided to open their own business and they are, um, you know, they're doing contracting that way. Uh, we have um, seen people go from forestry and building to being home inspectors and we were able to sort of pay for those transitions. So it really, um, we, as, if we can work with people individually, then, you know, usually we can, we can sort of help map out a path that's really based on on that individual's needs and I don't know Allison please jump in if you want to add anything yeah you hit the nail on the head um there's actually 102 work BC centers across the province that do exactly what uh Lindsay's referencing right providing an individualized plan and supporting workers who might be looking to leave an industry move to another industry or or maybe it is bridge to retirement whatever the case may be but we encourage folks who are thinking about that uh, as Brian mentioned, you know, that proactivity, we're starting to see that in some cases. And WorkBC is a great uh, avenue to start that because there are assessments. You think you might want to be an electrician, but once you start digging into it, you're like, oh, I actually am scared of being shocked. So, um, you know, the, those WorkBC centers will help guide people who are looking to transition and whether that's retraining, starting their own businesses, they can provide those supports in individually and customized to what they're looking for. So so I, I totally support that. And, and there's a WorkBC center at very near you, I guarantee. Um, if I may just add more. Um, through some of the transition challenges and sort of so early on as um, you've seen in, in the previous diagram um, Ministry of Labor does engage the employer and also the union organization uh, really really quite immediately um, after an announcement might happen in the community and we look to trying to understand what is the current situation so whether it's an actual full closure 
or it may actually be a reduction of some kind. And in that case, um, there is great opportunities uh, to leverage um, the different programs that we've uh, spoken about here, along with bridging to retirement. So it may not be a full closure and it may be actually giving older folks sort of that first-hand opportunity to retire uh, voluntarily if that's what they prefer to do um, and give an opportunity for those more the younger or more junior workers to actually uh, fill the the new the positions left vacant uh, but to your point I know Brian you mentioned earlier the concerns around servicing other uh, sectors in the community and we are we are hearing that uh, definitely um, where there has been an ask that if somebody did take advantage of bridging, like to retirement, could they still work in a different sector, even if it wasn't forestry? Um, at this time, um, the requirement is that the workers agree not to work anywhere for 18 months, but we are definitely hearing um, a resounding ask that in this new context that we're in, that it would be very helpful for communities uh, to have some of these older workers be willing to fill some of the the skill shortage gap that exists. Uh, so we are listening and, and we, we don't have an, an, an answer yet uh, in response to that ask, but we definitely have heard you. Yeah, Rebecca, I think that's good. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's a positive step forward because I think if you, if, if, if it's me and, and I'm bridging, I, I want the security to know that I'm going to be taken care of. Uh, that's the wrong word for, for lack of a better term, but being taken care of. But if I've got an 18-month roadblock in front of me, but I feel I've been taken care of and three months from now an opportunity comes, we want that person to get back in. I don't say they have to, but for sure that person should have the flexibility to get back into because I think it's about security that they've been in a business for so long, at a mill, logging, whatever the business may be. Uh, they just want the security that they are rich, taken care of, and then they get to breathe. And go and say, well, geez, I can go, I can be a millwright at, you know, somewhere else and, and move on. So that's good. I'm glad you're uh, looking at that. Yeah, we're definitely live to it. Um, and we're, we're seeing what we can do to respond to that accordingly. Um, something else I wanted to mention was often the challenge for a community once they've heard an announcement. At least this is what we've been seeing um, with with recent uh, announcements is allowing the process of, okay, an employer announces something, maybe it's a curtailment or some sort of reduction. There is that worker transition process that happens. So the workers may not even know if they've actually lost their job yet. They actually, what we've noticed is a lot of employers are working very closely with the, the labor organizations to try and actually save their jobs. So how do we get keep, keep potentially as many intact um, and we've got some great examples of where what maybe seemed like a very large loss initially, actually after all was said and done and the different programs got involved um, and there was access to the, the retirement as well as the, the reskilling of these younger workers from the post-secondary um, grant programs. Uh, so there was some various different factors and then at the end it actually ends up being pretty minimal which is just fortunate um and then there's also then the pivot so once that happens 
there's also the pivot forward of how, what are the other innovative options or technologies that either the mills could adopt or if the community um, is looking at what uh, Kim had mentioned earlier around diversifying their economy. So being able to take maybe the workers that still do get impacted in some way in a large instance, um, that how they can get reskilled to pivot into that new um, innovative opportunity in the community. Do you have politicians on that list that they can pivot to? Right <laughs> um, from Smithers, uh, does the community charter get in the way of, of, of us applying to help uh, a business? Does, does anybody, even our team, Marie? Uh, I mean, it's. I think it's been going on, so I think the answer is probably no. But I, I just want to ask that question because Frank's asked it. Uh, does the community charter limit us as local governments? I know regional district doesn't have, you know, but uh, providing assistance to their businesses. You're asking your team, right, Brian? Because I don't, I don't know the answer. I, I didn't. This is something I could definitely look right. into a bit more specifically. Uh, but you're right. Communities have applied for this funding. They have implemented it. We hired up to 90 people Good. last year. So I suspect that there is a way through in some way. And I could, I could look into that in a little more detail. Okay. And Sal's asked about the presentations. A lot of information coming through in, in three hours. Uh, and Marie's going to follow up with the ministry about posting the PowerPoints, and we will get that back out to everybody. Because uh, I, I want to refer back to some of those things. Instead of taking my camera and taking pictures, um, uh, I'll refer back to them. Um, uh, Grace, same concern, or a similar concern, sorry. Um, uh, we, you know, you don't have a person dedicated to grant writing. Uh, these are grants that need to be applied for. Is there compensation through trusts, through any of those things? Can that cost be picked up? We, for the for the grant programs um, under ourselves, so for the community work first response grant, there is a 10% um, admin fee that goes to the applicant to help cover some of those um, costs. I will say though, from a grant perspective, it's not your typical grant. It's probably about a page or two of information. It's very light, so it's not meant to be a really heavy administrative um, process to apply. Um, and as I mentioned, with we do have program teams who will help walk you through and tell you exactly what you need uh, to make the process easier. And then I know we also have um, community employer partnerships through uh, social development and poverty reduction that else we want to speak to. Um, but again, those are um, areas where you know we can we can help with some of that administrative work. Uh, a couple questions there uh, from Sarah. Uh, Donna Tassis, uh, and I think maybe somebody else might be a parent here too. Does it matter how long your mill's been closed in order to be eligible for program? <laughs> Obviously, Tassis is one. Uh, there are other communities that have lost sawmills over the years. Are they eligible, or does the sawmill have to close the recently yesterday or today? <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's a bit of a nuance, and I, I'll, I'll, I was sort of getting at, and maybe didn't quite nail it. Is that that? A lot of this additional funding that went to those programs are to um, sort of increase the, the uh, amount of support out to communities. But most of what um, we've shared here is accessible to anybody uh, or any community. And so, so absolutely, it's not determinant on, the, on a mill shutting down. 
the community transition that very formal process that Lindsay walked us through is in a reaction to a mill closure and we sort of bring different responses but we have regional managers in place that will help you through any of this um, regardless of your status in regards to the fourth center or a mill closure so absolutely and I think for TAS is um, Bridget Harrell would be your regional manager and, and we make sure that that info or she reaches out to you directly Thanks, Kim. I just want to reiterate the point that Judy has, uh, and I know you did a good job talking about it before, but really when we have our presentations up there, you say municipalities, and, and I know UBCM switched a lot of its language to local government, so just a thought process there that uh, that we talk to local governments, uh, and, and, and which includes regional districts in, in my humble opinion, but so uh, I just want to reiterate Judy's, uh, Judy's opinion that we do include regional districts uh, where possible. Uh, Vivian, uh, again, from uh, Lillooette uh, Area B, uh, Squamish Lillooette Regional District. Um, uh, you're talking about capacity again, small little communities, uh, especially some of the um, area, uh, EA areas are very small. Um, you know, so I, I, I think what I'm hearing there is that the, there needs to be even the 10% may not be enough because there's just no people to do it. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to say that she's seconding my motion on on let's work on them all. <laughs> I'd be willing, and I'm not volunteering APCM, but personally, I'd be willing to work with the team uh, to, to identify probably no all the resource communities, but I think we could identify everybody that needs to have uh, uh, work and help, and, uh, and that's maybe a proactive moment. So that's more of a comment there. Um, Steve from Foodvale, um, up to uh, Steve. This is the second time. You've, I think it's seventy-five thousand dollars or seventy-five thousand figure, if I remember correctly. But it was Hector's before. Now it's. Uh, is in two days, April 15th. Is that a call for applications to the forest impact recovery? We'll provide. Oh, yes, yeah, a comment. Sorry, sorry, Steve. I think it's just a comment. It closes in two days. Frank, just a comment rather than a question. Thanks. But if we're going to work on new jobs and careers paths, we need to make sure that uh, our infrastructure is such. The internet is key in regional districts, and and uh, and you know, if we can get 50. And uh, my problem is that big communication companies don't tell the truth and say that we have 50 download speed. Yeah. We do not in the province. That's and right. yet the province runs with we have mostly 50 download speeds. Wow. A lot of our communities don't. But we need to work on that infrastructure in such a big way uh, because it will attract people that can't afford homes in the lower mainland and wherever uh, to come to the north. Um, and they can work from and have a job in Victoria because that's been approved. So, uh, good comment, Frank. Ali, uh, will there be compensation for the small mills who have had made significant investments in their mills uh, and therefore into our small communities to create efficiencies and add uh, uh, value, uh, value-added products? Uh, should they try to, should they be forced to close or downsize because of lack of fiber, because of new initiatives? Can anyone talk to that? question about compensation for small mills. Uh, I, I, can I use, Ali, it's not your area, but uh, no, north of me, 
brand new mill open uh, in Fort St. James. Uh, this is a new initiative that's just happened after they've made the determination to build a small little mill, but but is the right direction. What happens if there's no timber? Is there compensation for companies for that? And I don't know if anybody can answer that one. Uh, I certainly can't answer that question on compensation. Um, I think that is probably more of a forced question if they have an answer. Um, but I will say that um, as far as investment in mills to make changes to uh, their their output, value add, those kinds of things, that's where the manufacturing um, jobs fund comes in and is a, a viable uh, source of funding for and it's for for-profit for organizations, which is something the government really hasn't done well, in any recent history. So um, I think that that would be, you know, looking forward or if those mills are still looking for a viable future and need some sort of support. And that that um, program, depending on the size of the project, will fund up to $10 million. So it's substantial and it's a grant. Like, we're, this isn't a federal loan, this isn't a, you know, whatever, it's a grant. And um, looking for um, ensuring that those jobs stay in rural areas and there is a prioritization for both forestry sector as well as rural areas. Perfect. To no fault of their own, they made investment decisions a year ago to build a small sawmill or make an improvement. And because of a new initiative that's rolling out from the province, up to the point where, you know, I, I would think that to no fault of their own, um, you know, the timber may have disappeared, whatever. Or, or we've, we've gone down a different path and now we're doing land-based management bottom up. I think that's the type of compensation. I think it's the comment that we should think about. I, I'm not expecting an answer. We should think about that because that is an impact to our our communities that we're basing stuff that happened. You know, we didn't know that this was all rolling out this way and we're just starting to get to that now. So it's a great comment. Uh, just one that we need to make sure that we understand that there, there could be some issues there that we should talk about. Folks, I've got about two or three minutes. I am not going to get through eight or nine more. Uh, I know that the province would like to close, and I'm going to close as well. Uh, Barb, you've got what about current retired workers that uh, want to have a career in something a little lighter, say carpenter to home inspector? I think we met, we talked about that already. Is that right, uh, Kim, Lindsay? We, we talked about that one. Okay, everyone's shaking their head. Thank you, uh, Sal. With the transition and many communities going to tourism as an economic driver such as trails and other recreation. But, uh, uh, Sal, you talked about trails into old growth before. Uh, should this be provided in the plan? Um, funding should be provided for this in the plan specifically. Uh, is that is that type of funding out there to move from, um, from say, uh, an industry to a tourism-based? I, I think you may have answered that. Yeah, the, the, the REDEP or the Rural Economic Diversification Infrastructure Program could look at um, uh, projects such as that that um, have economic outcomes for community and, and you could propose a tourism sector initiative or, or other. Yeah, and also tourism, like the, the, the sort of uh, government branch of tourism has a number of uh, funding programs as well, not obviously discussed here. Okay, sounds good. Uh, and then, Mariko, uh, um, UBCM is involved in a big way in the Regional Connectivity Knowledge Network. Do you want to provide an update quickly on, on where we are with uh, UBCM and getting that 
infrastructure out to uh, to everywhere. Thanks, Brian. I just um, wanted to let folks know that uh, UBCM and Ministry of Citizen Services support a group that's focused on advocating for improved connectivity in rural and remote communities. Uh, Sal Gamer, who's attending today, is a member of that. Um, I would encourage folks to reach out to me at UBCM and you can just, any way you can find us, email, phone, whatever, it'll come to me and I can put you in touch with the Knowledge Network. We're an active group, primarily regional district folks, and uh, we work with UBCM and the province and the Community Economic Development Committee of the UBCM Exec. We really focus on uh, rural and remote connectivity issues. So if that's a concern in your community, please reach out and I will put you in touch. Thanks, Rachel. I appreciate that. Folks, it, it, it is that time, um, and I know the province has got a couple slides uh, to, to finish up with, and then I'll wrap up and, and get to lunch. You've been given a lot to think about, so um, I'm going to ask uh, Tom Roger uh, to wrap up. He's got a couple of slides, Rachel, and uh, and then he can, he can wrap up. So, Tom, if you're on, I'm looking there you are. I'm here. I'm over here, Brian. Thank you. There you go. Cheers. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm Tom Roger. I'm the Director of Policy for the Provincial Old Growth uh, Strategy Branch. So I work directly with Nora, um, who we spoke to, uh, who was speaking to us earlier this morning. Um, and I'm coming also from Victoria, so the land of the continent-speaking people, also known as the uh, Esquimalt Songhees Nations. Um, what I wanted to do is just quickly, as kind of addendum, or a little kind of cherry on the top, of the excellent presentation by my colleagues Kim and Lindsay. Um, they were talking about the kind of the suite of programs under the umbrella of um, forestry worker and community supports. Those are led by the Ministry of Jobs, Economic Development and Innovation, um, post-secondary innovation and future skills and labour with my ministry, the Ministry of Forest and Support. And what I want to do is just talk about one of the ways that the Ministry of Forest intersects with those processes and then in particular how that facilitates at least one way which local governments and indigenous communities and other stakeholders um, are informing the implementation of recommendation 14 of government vision for transforming communities um, and that's in the forestry worker support and community resiliency council which is not a very catchy name it doesn't fall off the tongue um, so forgive me if i just refer to it as the council uh, I've been working with them for a couple of weeks now and the name just does not stick in my mind. So I'm going to call it the council and that's okay. Um, so this council was announced in October 2022 and it's composed of 19 members. Um, those are pulled from local government. There is uh, representation there from Port Alberni, Burns Lake, Quenelle. Um, there are also representatives from indigenous communities there, the forest sector and Sound. Oh no. Can you see me now? Yeah. Yes, I can. Okay. Well, typically my headset has just died. So um, we're going to cope this way. It's okay. So I think I was saying it's composed of 19 members um, uh, that include representatives from the local governments. Uh, uh, it's got academia on it, representatives from non-government organisations. It's chaired by the Parliamentary Secretary of Forests, that's Doug Rowley, 
Um, and the role of the council is really threefold. It's to advise the province on the implementation of OGSR, in particular recommendation 14. Secondly, inform the government's vision for resilient, thriving communities for the development of forward-looking economic development and innovation initiatives. Um, and then finally, provide feedback and advice to government on the development of um, community uh, of rubber forest worker community support programs. So the umbrella of support programs that my colleagues were talking about. So to date, that council has met three times since October 2022. Um, they are really focused right now on developing relationships between the members of the council, learning about the um, old growth strategic review and the processes involved with that, um, learning about the uh, forestry worker support programs, um, and providing feedback on those for incorporation into the program design. So, for example, um, feedback from the council on the manufacturing jobs fund led to the doubling of that fund um, from 90 million to 180 million dollars and the removal of the previous geographic restrictions um, uh, for eligibility to access those funds so where the council is looking to go in the future um, they're mandated to develop a report uh, with recommendations to government um, related to their support for community and forestry workers next meetings will focus on developing those recommendations for a presentation to the Minister of Forests and the Minister's Accountable for the Forestry Worker Community Support Programs, um, which we hope and think will inform the Old Growth Action Plan as well, which is all kind of like sallying together and moving forward at the same time. So I just wanted to round off by discussing how you can get in touch uh, with the Council. So as I said, the Ministry of Forests is the lead for that Council. Um, and our parliamentary undersecretary is the chair of it. Um, I'll share in the chat here um, a kind of generic inbox um, that will give you access or can uh, con help you contact the secretariat for that. Um, and also my colleague, Rachel Pollard's um, contact details um, as she's accountable for this as well. And that's really all I had to say on the council. And I'll reiterate its full name once again, just so it hope that it lodges in everyone else's mind, the Forestry Worker Support and Community Resiliency Council. Um, before we move on, I've got just like two minutes to talk about um, uh, just a couple of wrap-up slides there, but were there any, I didn't see any questions come in, Brian, on the council. Are we good to carry on? Yeah, for sure. Keep going. Yep. Sorry, Brian, my audio is very quiet since I lost you. Oh, okay, oh so we can carry yeah, on. go ahead. Yeah. If we can move forward one slide. So I just want to remind you. Um, that we are continuing going through um, our engagement sessions, our regional workshops um, for developing the action plan that will deliver on the old growth strategic review. Um, so up there, you can see just the, the immediate upcoming ones, the ones that we have coming up next. Um, if, you're, if you're attending those, fantastic. If they're in your area and you're interested in attending those, um, reach out to your, to your area leads, to the, to the regional leads on that. They are the ones who are in charge of um, sorting out the advice and the attendance to those, so there may still be opportunity to attend those. Um, and then at the bottom there we have um, similar workshops that are going on for the biodiversity framework. And I'll just pause for a second to see if Celine wants to say anything about that, but I think it's probably self-explanatory. I don't know if she's still on the call. She's not on the call, this is Josie here, but we will be sending an invite um, after this session, so people, to make sure everyone's received it. Fantastic, thanks Josie. Um, and then the final slide, please. 
So this is a QR code, so it'll work on your phone if you get your camera or app up. If you hover it over the QR code, it should come up with a, with a website link. Um, and that will take you through to a website where you can provide feedback, specific feedback on the 14 recommendations um, of the Old Growth Strategic Review. That's the new future for Old Forests Review. Um, so that's another avenue which you can provide that feedback. Um, and I think these slides are being made accessible afterwards. So don't, don't rush out to take a photograph of this now. Um, I think there'll be an opportunity to do so later. Um, and then that's really it from me. Perfect. Thanks, Tom. Um... I want to wrap up as well and and get you on to your lunches. Um, just a forestry is going to change in British Columbia, and I think that for for better or for worse, it's up for debate. I'm not going to say that, but I, I think when you start to look at what's been presented in all of the organizations that have been created, the timber industry is is not going to be what it was, and and so I'm very pleased that the government has come. To you and us as local governments, uh, and and presented, this gives you enough information to absorb and try to comprehend uh, the reality that is coming uh, for all of us. That that we need to take a look at what that means for our communities. And so, uh, get yourself involved. Uh, get get to these next sessions. You'll you you know we're going to try to get these slides available for you as quick as we can so that you can get to a virtual session, face-to-face -face session, get to the framework uh, session that's coming up in, at the end of April. Get to those things and make your comments known what you need from your local government. Um, I, 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 as always, uh, I, and this isn't a UBCM thing, but I, I'm putting my email up there, so uh, please, uh, I will talk to anybody about forestry. Uh, and other things, um, I will respond. So, uh, uh, but don't yell and scream at me. Um, uh, so I want to thank Nora and her team for participating with uh, UBCM. Uh, I want to thank the members. Uh, oh yeah, Owen, great. Owen and I are on this team together. So um, I want to thank everybody for being here, your input, your questions. Think of more. Think of the impacts. Think of the positive, the negative. Um, this is your opportunity now uh, as local governments to really put things pen to paper and let government know what you think. And, uh, and I thank you all for uh, participating. And, and I, I want to thank, um, I want to thank President Ford, Jen Ford from Whistler for allowing me to stay on, uh, on these forestry files, even though I'm sort of retired. Um, and, and I want to, uh, um, really thank Marie Crawford and Reiko Tagami for all of the heavy lifting that they do for UBCM. Um, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes on and if they jump from a major housing uh, scenario last week to this old growth uh, today, it's, it's, it's fantastic what they do and, and, and we sit here and read their notes. So uh, I thank everybody for being here. Again, you have my email. Thank everybody for uh, your participation. Get the word out. Uh, and, and now you've got links to a lot of things that you can read. And uh, appreciate you all being here. And I think that's probably it for my end. And you can all head to lunch. And I hope you have an enjoyable lunch. Or if you're in other places, maybe it's not lunch yet. But anyway, have a great time, everybody. And I appreciate you all being here. Thank you.
next Friday. Thanks, Brian. Generous. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Recording. Oops, sorry about that. So I had to go find the Douglas Respin room because my next meeting is in a different room. Thank you so much for listening to the Waterfelt Podcast. Bye-bye.